uh, this morning. Uh, it is the fifth Sunday. Our young men are in charge of uh, the worship service today. They always do a great job. I hope song leaders part of the youth group as well today. I want to remind you of that as well. Uh, you know, young people look more mature now than they ever have in history. And uh, that was obvious from the song leader today. But I uh, hope you'll come back tonight for our service at 5 o'clock. Uh, you'll be hearing a couple of fine lessons. And I hope you'll come back and, and be a part of that and try to bring somebody with you. You know, I've long felt that the Christian religion, in order for it to really be acceptable to other people... It has to be reasonable and rational. And I believe that's especially true in the time in which we live today when, when knowledge has become so vast and extensive and so readily acceptable. You know, blind and irrational faith is very unappealing to people. But I believe the challenge of being rational and reasonable is a challenge that Christianity is more than glad to meet. You know, Peter admonished Christians long ago, and we're challenged by these same words in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts. Now, folks, that's where a real relationship with God begins. It begins with the heart. The heart is the key to every aspect of our relationship with God. If our heart is not right, our attitudes won't be right, our actions won't be right. And so we're challenged by these words. Set apart the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and in fear. And I think that statement made by Peter is very consistent with what our Lord said over in John chapter 8 and verse 32. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You know, I've always believed and found faith in God to be more reasonable and rational than believing that this world and everything that we see round about us coming into existence by mere chance. Whenever an individual stops and examines the intricate design and the system and the pattern of this world, it's very obvious that everything we have, everything that we can see with our eyes is the result of a great creator or an architect. I also believe that the divinity of Jesus Christ, he being God who was made flesh and dwelt among us to be a much better explanation of his life and his influence than any other explanation that we can find. Either Jesus was Lord and Christ, everything that he claimed he was, or else he was the greatest deceiver and liar that ever lived. But in view of the lasting influence of Jesus Christ throughout the ages, that seems like just an impossibility. I have found faith in the inspiration of the Bible to be more convincing than the view that 
simple, ordinary men unaided by God produced the Bible. It's just too remarkable of a book to have come as other writings came of that ancient time. In short, the evidence for Christian faith is much greater than the evidence for doubt. And yet, I think all of us realize that there are problems out there. We recognize the fact that there are questions out there for which we simply do not know the answers. Now, most of these have to do with relatively unimportant matters. But some of these are of great significance. You know, one of the most difficult problems of all is this question. How could a God of infinite goodness create a world like we are in today that has so much evil in it? Now, what would you say to somebody who asks you that question at school or at work? How could a God of infinite goodness create a world like we have today that has so much evil in it? Now, we remember that the Bible says in Psalms 14 and verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. However, we're not in this lesson concerned with those who are foolish and who only give a light and passing thought to the subject of God. This morning, we're concerned with the many intelligent people, sincere people, honest people, who are so disturbed by the evil that they see in this world today that they've come to feel that they really can't believe in a God that would allow this kind of evil to exist. What would you say to somebody who asks you that question? Is there a, a real answer that we can provide those who have such doubt. You know, they speak of suffering and sickness, which are known wherever people may live in this world. They're impressed by the problem of death itself. Man's inhumanity to man as seen in destructive wars is frequently referred to. People speak of man's misuse of other men, and even the subordination of whole races of men they talk about. Why does a precious, innocent child get sick and die? You know, why is someone's loved one suddenly hurled into eternity unexpectedly, maybe because of sickness or some other reason, and then, too, perhaps most difficult of all to deal with is, you know, why are there earthquakes? Why are there the tornadoes and the hurricanes and the tidal waves that cause so much destruction? Other violent acts of nature. And, of course, in the legal language of our day, these destructive acts of nature are referred to as acts of God. In fact, the strongest argument that was made by a man named Woolsey Teller, who is the, or was the president of the American Association for the Advancement of Atheism, in his debate with James Bales, 
one of his strongest arguments concerned the ruthlessness of nature. And so I believe this morning we can see the problem as it does exist. And certainly would cause some to question in their mind perhaps the rationality of Christianity. But this morning, first of all, I want us to consider two preliminary considerations to this heavy objection of our Christian faith. The first consideration I want to bring to your attention this morning is that man's knowledge is limited. In the very same way that a child, a toddler, maybe a a preschooler, in the same way that that child cannot understand the adult world and relate to the adult world, in the same way man does not have the perspective to fully understand the nature of God and, and the makeup of this vast universe. You know, man's line of sight is often very limited. Many times our conclusions are very inaccurate. And I think if we're honest today, we have to all admit this in our own experiences. Now, it's true that Solomon said long ago in Proverbs 14, verse 12, that there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So you see, mankind is often mistaken in his conclusions because his knowledge is so very limited. Now, it's a fact today that the Hebrew language is written backward. I know Billy's done a lot of study in Hebrew and Greek, and I studied Greek, not much Hebrew in college, but you may not be aware of this, but when somebody sits down and reads a page of Hebrew, he begins at the right side of the page, and he goes to the left. Now, that's the opposite of the way we read in English. Now, I make that point to say this. Oftentimes, life is backward as well. There are many times when we simply cannot understand a particular situation in this life. We can't understand why this happened and why that had to happen. Why? We can't understand until we hear the rest of the story. For example, in the Genesis story of Joseph, it's hard to understand why that young man Joseph had to go through and endure all that he had to go through. That young man, that teenage young man, could not have possibly understood why his brothers would sell him as a slave He could not have understood, you know, why doesn't my father come and rescue me? Why doesn't he come and buy me back from this slave traders? You see, Joseph could not have possibly understood all that he had to go through until the rest of the story is unfolded and he could finally comprehend the purpose of it all. You see, whenever you stop and you read the story of Joseph backward, 
every step in his life demonstrated a beautiful plan. And folks, we need to realize today that's the way it is in our lives. We do not understand everything. Our knowledge is very limited. Now, for a more modern example, I might refer to a young lady who was engaged to a a man that was several years older than she was, and as the wedding day approached, he broke the engagement, and doing so devastated her, broke her heart. For a time, she felt bitter. She felt there just simply could not be any justice and goodness in a world where she had been treated so shamefully. She was very discouraged, questioning God. Well, later she married a man and found the man of her dreams. And in that marriage, she achieved a happiness that she never dreamed possible before. And after that, she no longer had a problem with the goodness of God, but was now thankful that she had not entered into that less promising earlier marriage. And so I want us to understand the first preliminary consideration is that man's knowledge is very limited. We cannot see the whole picture. We need to keep that in mind. Now, a second important consideration is that our concept of what is good and what is bad is oftentimes mistaken. Our concept of what is really good is oftentimes not correct. You know, the pleasure-pain view of existence is very shallow, very incomplete, and yet almost all people today, perhaps even here, would consider a thing good if it brings pleasure, and yet it's going to be bad if it causes any pain. See, that type of thinking today is interpreted as happiness. It just seems like today that every story, you know, just like Hollywood, it has to have a happy ending. A good time was had by all, and, you know, they all lived happily ever after. We learn that from the time we're children, don't we? You know, that's how things ought to be. You know, something's good if it brings pleasure. Something is bad if it brings pain. Now, that's indeed a shallow, that is an incomplete view of life. You see, we as human beings are not the center of this universe. God is not our private servant. And to evaluate everything as being good or bad in terms of whether it gives us pleasure or whether it gives us pain is being totally self-centered. There's a much greater good than the pleasure. There's a much greater evil than the pain. And we need to understand today, and certainly this goes against the world's thinking and and the messages that we receive in commercials, for example. You know, you deserve this vehicle. You deserve to go on vacation at this place. You know, mankind does not exist just to be happy. And I think we need to understand that. We don't exist in this life just to be happy. Now, certainly God wants us to be happy, but 
there's a higher goal than this. We as human beings exist for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to our God, and that may not be pleasurable because of persecution we have to endure. Now, having said all this and looking at these two preliminary considerations, I want us to come to the real reason as to why there's so much evil in this world. And for the next few minutes, I want us to carefully note four basic underlying principles as to why bad things happen. Why evil sometimes happens to good people. I would encourage you today to write these down. I would encourage you to take note of these things because uh, these things will be helpful to you when you talk with people with whom you associate with, whether it's a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend at school. Let's think about some of these principles as to why there is the evil in our world today. You know, the first of these reasons is the regularity of the law. The regularity of the law. The principle is stated in Scripture over in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, where the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The regularity of the law. And as that opening chapter of the opening book of the Bible unfolds, we read how the various kinds of vegetation and animals brought forth after their kind. Many other evidences of an ordered system of natural law are also set forth. In particular, we note after the flood, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22, where the Bible says, while the earth remains. It's still remaining. We're a part of this. Notice what he says. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. I think it's obvious that we're in the summer part of that right now. It's been very, very hot. You see, God planned this universe so that this universe would be run by a system of natural laws. And we need to understand that it's by these laws that everything functions. Without these natural laws, life would be impossible. A world of chance today would be total chaos. And it's precisely because of these universal laws of nature that storms occasionally occur. You know, God's plan of causing the sun to evaporate the oceans of winds, to carry the moisture in the form of clouds across the mainland, and of the atmospheric conditions that cause rain, it creates the possibility of floods. And as waters flow down the mountains and through the valleys, and as the streams flow rapidly in stronger currents, it is inevitable. Occasionally there are going to be whirlpools that would threaten human life. The winds that, that normally purify our atmosphere occasionally cause a tornado. You know, gravity can be cruel when Someone falls from a height and is crushed in that fall. But, you know, without gravity, 
we simply could not go about the normal activities of life. In the same way, we know that fire can be very destructive. We, we've seen those fires on television and the news and all the destruction they can cause. But without fire, it would be impossible to cook or to provide power for many of life's activities. Sunshine and rain are great blessings, though sometimes the sun causes droughts. The rain causes floods. You see, it's always necessary to look at the total and complete picture. And if we'll stop and look at the total of nature, we're going to find that it's very, very good. The occasional destructive aspects of nature is so few in comparison to its blessings that the verdict has to be solidly in favor of God's system. Now, a second principle that I want us to look at this morning as to why there's so much evil in this world is the freedom of man's will. You know, when God chose to create man, when God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul, God gave man the greatest honor by giving him freedom of will, making him a creature of choice. You know, man is not a robot. We are creatures of free will. We can make choices. We can come to our own conclusions and decide what we want to do. Now, in that crucially important act, God did two things. First of all, God lifted man above the realm of the animals and all the inordinate objects upon this earth. And he gave man a dignity and a great importance that are very unique. Now, secondly, God also in doing this made it possible for man to choose to do evil as well as good. There was simply no other way. If mankind was to have the freedom of will, it was inevitable that he might choose the evil as well as the good. And certainly man's misuse of that freedom has brought untold suffering to humanity. You think about Adolf Hitler and his reign. You think about the 6 million Jews and an additional 14 million other people that were exterminated because of his evil mind and his corrupt nature. Innocent people suffered because of the freedom of choice that he had and chose the wrong. Or you think about literally... Almost a billion people that are starving to death right now. We're making our plans about where to go to lunch, right? We've got so many choices. Going to eat at home. We're going to go here. Going to go there. By the way, we're going back to King Buffet. Just that interests you. But anyhow, you know, we, we make these choices. But there's over a billion people starving to death right now because of the evil choices that leaders in some countries have made. And so man's misuse of that freedom has brought untold suffering 
to humanity. And in spite of the charges of some, God is not responsible for much or even most of man's suffering because man's suffering comes about as a result of his own unfortunate choices. For example, I might mention a woman that married a man that just treated her like dirt. I mean, she treated him, she was treated that way even in the dating relationship. She was very much aware of the kind of character this man had. But she went ahead and married him anyway. And then she turns right around and she blames God for her unhappy state. Now, God did not cause her to marry that particular man. She had a choice. And I'm not trying to justify uh, the actions and attitudes of that particular man. But she made a choice in marrying that man, knowing the kind of man he was, and the consequences of that choice soon followed. That was her decision. Her suffering was the result of her own choice. In the very same way, when a drunk driver veers across the center line of the highway and causes a collision that takes the life of several people, that's not God's will. That's not the act of God. That's the result of man making a choice and sinning against his fellow man. And there's no possession which man has that is more important than his ability to make choices. And yet there's no element of man's nature which has been so costly. You see, when God made man with the capability of reaching the stars, there was inevitably connected with that the possibility of sinking to the depths as well. And so there is the regularity of the law. There's the freedom of man's will. A third reason why there is so much evil in this world today is the value of imperfect conditions. Let me explain what I'm trying to say here. You know, the problems and the imperfections, the challenges that all of us face in this world, some on a daily basis gives us the opportunity for growth and development which otherwise would not be possible. Sorrow and suffering, as much as we may dislike that, help us to develop those traits that will make us fit for eternity. You think about a a teenage young man and nowadays even some of our young ladies that play athletics. You know, athletics, even in high school, has become a big deal. You know, they train year-round to prepare for the season. And, you know, a teenage young man does not develop his strength. He does not develop his stamina and fortitude by laying in a hammock in the summer and eating ice cream, does he? You know, it just doesn't happen that way. Instead, that young man develops his muscles by hard work. He develops his strength by self-discipline. It takes work and determination to develop that strength that makes one prepared for those athletic events. 
And we need to realize that the imperfections in our world are valuable because they serve a purpose in allowing us to grow and to mature into responsible human beings which otherwise simply would not be possible. And so you see, we become stronger as a result of our struggles in this life. That's why folks uh, who are younger, like me and some others, I hope I can still say that, we, we look to the older folks as examples because you have developed the fortitude and the strength spiritually to be an example for others to follow. You have grown, you have matured, you become strong in the Lord because of the difficulties you faced in this life. You know, it's true what James said in James 1 and verse 3, beginning, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials. Rejoice because I've got problems. Have joy because I've got difficulties in life. No. Instead, I need to rejoice because those trials and difficulties can cause me to mature in a way that's pleasing to God. Those trials and difficulties serve as stepping stones towards spiritual maturity. Knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But quickly as we close, you know, a fourth underlying principle as to why there's so much evil in this world today is the interdependence of human life. Now, when we talk about the interdependence of human life, I I think about what the Apostle Paul said over in Romans chapter 14 and verse 7. He said, no man lives to himself, no man dies to himself. You know, much of man's suffering results from the actions of other people, people in the past as well as the present. You know, the misdeeds of our ancestors continue to plague us. And our misdeeds will invariably be a burden for our children. Now, in order to avoid this, it would be necessary for each one of us to live in some kind of airtight compartment. It's only in that way that that we could avoid the effect of the results of the deeds of other people. When we could just live isolated, away from anybody else, that would be the only possibility. You see, you need to realize today, and I need to realize, that when you involve yourself in sin, you always, without exception, affect the lives of others. You know, that individual that goes out and chooses to get drunk, and then gets behind the steering wheel of an automobile, he's not making a choice that's just going to affect him. This is my choice. He's affecting the lives of other people. He's affecting the lives of those he may hit and maybe even take their lives as a result of that decision. In our our times today, the emphasis with our youth And our college age and young adults is, you know, party till you drop. You know, drink till you can't hold anymore. There's more emphasis on the party type of 
atmosphere than there ever has been, I honestly believe. And yet when we make choices like that, I can't say, well, that's a choice that's going to affect me. It affects other people as well. You know, to go out and be sexually immoral, or maybe to go out and to commit adultery, doesn't just affect me. It affects other people. It affects members of my family. Or it may be that there's an unwanted pregnancy. Maybe there's some kind of sexually transmitted disease. And so when we go out and, and, and we do things that we know that are not right in God's sight, it's not just my choice. I may say, let's well, my decision. It's not your decision. You may make that decision, but that decision is going to affect other people. There's simply no way to avoid it. And that's because our lives are so intertwined with other people that our decisions will affect them. And yet, in contrast to that, I'm convinced that our greatest blessings come from the love which we give to other people, the relationships that we have, the love and and encouragement that we receive from other people. Think about where we would be without that. Where would we be without fellowship? You know, without the love that we share among one another, life would be barren. Life would basically be meaningless. If we were to avoid all contact with all other people, that would save us some suffering. And yet it would cause us to miss out on some of the greatest joys and pleasures in this life. And so let's realize today that all of us have a profound influence on other people. Now, as we have faced the tragedy of evil in this world, and as we've tried to analyze the origin of this evil... I think all of us have come to the conclusion that evil is simply going to coexist with the blessings and the benefits of this life. You know, without the regularity of the law, the occasional destructive storms such as come with the regularity of the law, there would be no life on this earth. Without the freedom of man's will, there would be no meaningfulness to life. We would just be reduced to being a robot or a machine. Without the imperfect conditions that exist in our world, there would be no means that, uh, by which we could develop those inner strengths of character that are so essential. And without the interdependence of human life, there would be none of the great blessings that we enjoy today of friendship and love. You see, by the nature of reality, negative circumstances are a part of life. Where there's an up, there has to be a down. We can't stay on the mountaintop all the time as much as we might like that. But neither should we stay down in the valley. Where there's an inside, there must be an outside. That operation that saves a person's life cannot take place without an incision and stitches and the pain of recovery. In the same way, our blessings today would not be possible were it not for some of the imperfections that go along with them. 
You see, we've got to look at the whole picture. And in doing that, I think we can see that God's plan is very good. One more thing briefly I want to share with you that's very important as we bring all this together. Even though God does not take away the evil that we see in our world today, even though God may not take away the the suffering and the pain that I'm enduring right now, God does promise us that if we love him, he will see us through. Romans 8 and verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Now that verse doesn't say all things are good because they're not. What that verse does say is that everything in our lives, both good and evil, intertwine together. All these things somehow, some way are going to work out for our ultimate good if we love the Lord. Paul wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Notice that. He will not allow you to be tempted more than that which you are able I can't take it anymore, you say. You can. God's not going to put something on you that you cannot bear. And the Bible says he will, with that temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it or endure it. There's no ultimate tragedy that can happen to a faithful Christian. Repeat that statement in your mind with me. There's no ultimate tragedy that can ever happen to a faithful Christian. And it's for these reasons that we believe in the goodness of God in spite of the evil that we see sometimes that is so distressing and disturbing. And whenever one sees all of life and whenever we understand the reason behind all the suffering in this life, I believe that we can agree with the judgment which God himself declared in the story of creation in Genesis 1 and verse 31. That is, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was good. Perhaps the greatest blessing God has given us, though, is the hope of salvation. Maybe today you are without that hope. You haven't obeyed the gospel. This morning, if you'll 